What's up, everyone? Musu of Musu Writes here, and we are on a roll with another episode of The Writer's Haven. Today's guest is author Scott Archer Jones, and he is talking about all kinds of interesting things. And I think he is really sharing some good tips for us writers, especially those of us who are new to the game. We're not sure about our writing style. You know, what does writer's block really mean? And then just how to just put together a really good story that's going to connect with people. And he has definitely mastered that. He's uh, finishing his his sixth novel. Uh, but we see, I don't want to mess up the title and throw away the skins, which I think is a very interesting story. Um, for those of you who have read it, uh, let me know how you like it, because I definitely plan on checking it out myself. Just real quick. It's about a woman who is starting over in life, you know, recovering from a lot of different things. So her journey at this point in her life is very interesting. It takes a lot of twists and turns that I think a lot of people can relate to. So, um, and then, you know, that's where he, he and I connected because the main character in my story is pretty much going through the same thing, but during another phase of her life. So definitely grab his book and let me know what you think. I plan on doing the same and take a listen. I think you're going to enjoy it. As always, if you want to keep up, you are more than welcome to hit that subscribe button. The podcast is available on Podbean and iTunes. So whenever a new episode pops up, it'll you'll be notified right away and you'll be able to enjoy the latest episode. If you want more information on me, you can visit musuwrites.com. And I do share Scott's um, information at the end if you are interested in connecting with him or learning more about his work. All right, thanks. And I will catch you guys next time. Exactly. <laughs> How are you? I'm uh, good. Uh, I appreciate you taking uh, my call and uh, uh, conducting the interview. Oh, of uh, course. No problem. Um, I see that you have a very interesting collection of books. And um, so I just wanted to, you know, chat with you about your work, you know, how you got started, things like that. So, okay. Um, and then anything you wanted to promote, any projects uh, you're working on, we can go ahead and talk about that. Okay. It's always always good to talk about the next books coming up. It makes you work harder towards the deadlines. Yes, of course, of course. So um, there's one. Well, before I get to the the book that caught my eye, can you just tell me a little bit about yourself, how you got started in the writing business, things like that? Well, how far do you want me to go back? I mean, I can go back to the Cretaceous if you want. Oh, wow. No, just kidding. Uh, I retired about uh, 15 years ago, and I had always intended to write, but I had a very intensive job uh, for a long time, and uh, I didn't get to it, but the best thing that I could do was to uh, read everything I could get my hands on and uh, to watch the people around me. I was a technical manager uh, for a multinational company, which meant I was a baby manager. Uh, But that meant that I supervised a lot of staff. And you'd be surprised the uh, number of story ideas that can come out of that. I once had a female employee suing a male employee for uh, some kind of breach of promise when they were both married to two other people. And uh, of course, I... (laughs) Me and HR were right in the middle of this. She was very, very disappointed with the way life was going. There was a limited amount of things I could do, but 
I couldn't turn my brain off, so I was watching the whole time. Wow. And so you that was kind of like, hey, let me see about how I can use this. But oh, sure. I had drug abuse problems. I had uh, people that uh, um, couldn't remember to lace up their shoes, but were brilliant. Uh, mm-hmm. I had uh, people who uh, quit me and then immediately sued me for two weeks. Wow. Interesting. When, when we'd agreed on a date when they were leaving, it's because the guy wanted to buy a sailboat. He needed two weeks worth of salary to buy the sailboat. <laughs> Hope you figured he could get He'd yeah. get the money for his sailboat that way. Okay. But he was a brilliant kid. He went to work for the Alaska uh, Volcanic Observatory, which I thought was pretty cool. I was a little jealous, to tell you the truth. And with dealing with these types of folks, what was the biggest thing that you learned? What was the biggest lesson learned after that experience? There's that thin line that you have to walk where you're, Uh, trying to be a human being. Uh, You want to be personally involved, but you have to have a distance from the person because you're in a position of power and you can't push yourself into their lives. You can't uh, assume that uh, what you want is necessarily what they want. And so you have to keep that distance uh, that uh, allows them to speak to you without a feeling that they're violating something like themselves or like the relationship with you. Right. Right. Yeah. Okay. You have and to do reviews on these people every year too. And that's a, that's a harsh thing. So I always tried to make my expectations clear during the year rather than in the final hour. Okay. Of course. Of course. So, and with your, um, your collection of books, which one is your most recent? Uh, it's the uh, one that uh, the, uh, our women's magazine in Baltimore is picking up uh, to give a little um, exposure to. It's um, uh, And Throw the Skins Away. Okay. Yeah, that was the one that caught my eye. I had wanted to talk with you about. Um, mm-hmm. I just read up on it a little bit and it seems very interesting, you know, what the main character is going through with the different turns and angles of life. Um, mm-hmm. If you don't mind me asking, is that, you know, based on, is that any personal reference at all for yourself? I invented the character, Rebecca or Beck, and I made her a very strong person. And I took away um, faults that I have. For instance, uh, Beck is totally unsentimental. Uh, and, uh, I cry at commercials with little puppy dogs. And <laughs> uh, it's, uh, uh, it's been said of me that I would cry at the opening of a used car lot. Oh, wow. <laughs> but uh, uh, I invented the character, and I was very, very interested when I was... Uh, writers walk around with these ideas in their head. They, they say, what if, what if, what if... Nelson Algren was a very famous uh, Chicago radical and author. He was walking down the street with a Pulitzer Prize winner one time, and he looked up and he says, look, there's a guy up on that top of the building. What would happen if he jumped off? <laughs> so for life, uh, life for him was a series of how can I feed the story? 
And mm -hmm. I think a lot of authors are like that. Once you get these characters in your head, you walk around with them for a while. You say, well, where would you live? What would you be doing? What yeah. would your disappointments be? And Beck had a whole series of disappointments because she was married into the good Christian life mm -hmm. and she didn't like it. Yeah. That's, that's so interesting. That's so interesting. And do you see a bit of yourself in her at all? Uh, no. Um, actually, I do very little autobiographical work. Mm -hmm. um, I'm somewhat dull, to tell you the truth. <laughs> and so I'm much more interested in the people that I meet, particularly the ones that uh, are carrying their own problems around. Mm -hmm. And I tend to steal from them. Uh, I tend to invent characters from scratch. But those characters are a lot more interesting than, than me. I'm kind of like the little gray geek in the corner. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> And with looking at Rebecca and the different things that has happened to her, you said she didn't, she doesn't, she didn't like the whole, you know, life that she had entered. Is it because of those things that happened to her or it just wasn't what she thought it would be? I, um, Beck married uh, someone that she met in rural America, who's very religious, son of a preacher. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't think that she had the expectation that they were going to end up in Dallas in what she called the Church of a Thousand Pews. Mm -hmm. uh, she thought that she was going to have a more normal life, a hopefully not abusive life like she and her mother had had at home. Uh, but she had a young man that uh, she believed in and that believed in her, and they embarked on this life, and he went straight into seminary. Uh, we always invent backstories for our characters. Right. And when you're sitting down talking to someone like I'm talking to you, uh, you can reveal those back character uh, stories even if uh, they didn't appear in the book. But he went into seminary and uh, she moved into his parents' house, which is in the book, to um, get out from under her abusive father. And so uh, life with her family patterned her how she would react to situations good and bad. Uh, but uh, she was always an independent person who wanted to run her own life. And being a preacher's wife in a giant church was not it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, the, the little, like I said, the little bit that I read, I really don't see her doing that anyway. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, you know, she's, she just seems so uh, resilient. Um, you know, after certain experience, it's like, okay, yeah. Something like this, I, I, I don't have time for. So. <laughs> yeah, I'm, uh, I'm through with chemotherapy. Now it's time to move. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, and, you know, with the people that have read your book, um, you know, because it, it seems like it's something that's very, um, you know, the human experience is very tangible what it mm. seems. Uh, mm. What are some of the readers' thoughts? Have they shared any of that with you, or do you know what their reaction to the story has been? Oh, well, sure. All writers have beta test groups. Mm -hmm. Those are your, your totally honest friends that you can take the book to and say, well, what do you think? Right. But the one thing that I will mention is that uh, 
I had to work very, very hard uh, to avoid any kind of masculinity or paternalism in the book because I wanted to portray a very strong woman, uh, a flawed woman, but a strong woman. And the best thing that I've got is this review on Amazon from somebody who obviously isn't within my immediate circle, who said, uh, I was most of the way through the book when I found out this was a male a writer, and I couldn't believe it. And so that was very, very high compliment for me. I've got another uh, woman that's in my writer's circle uh, who has gone through a lot of the medical difficulties that, uh, um, that my character, Beck, has gone through. And she told me uh, I nailed it. She told me that I had it right. I gave her the document basically with the charge I can't screw this up, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. I can't screw up uh, women's medicine and have a believable book. And yeah. so, so she basically uh, coached me on a couple of emotional reactions, but she said I had the details and I had most of the subtext. Uh, excuse me. <coughs> most of the uh, subtext of the book was just fine. Wow. Okay. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty amazing that, um, you know, you were able to connect with... Alert from calendar. Saving PR through our show. Uh, (laughs) Do we have another visitor? (laughs) No, 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 no. Um, We've got a friend who's a disc jockey on a uh, public radio station, and uh, it's on Tuesday nights. He happens to be our concert curator oh okay Uh, my wife and i did something uh, i'm not sure what possessed us maybe i thought well i could make a book out of this sometime we've run a um, charity musical festival for two years and uh, now we're turning it over to an organization that has more core competencies and a deeper bench and can carry it through. It's, oh. you, you should look it up. It's called Festival Eclectica, and it's oh. in Angel Fire, New Mexico. Oh, okay. Festival, Festival. Eclectica. Eclectica, okay. Yeah, it's world music, basically. Oh, okay. And, uh, yeah, that sounds interesting. I will definitely look that up. Yeah, last year it was all women-fronted bands, and this year it's going to be all women-fronted bands. Oh, okay, nice. Yes. Okay. Yes. Just uh, side note: I was in, I lived in Albuquerque for a couple of years. It was interesting. Oh wow! Yeah. <laughs> Did you like it? Um, I was on the fence. I didn't care too much for it. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I I don't know. I mean, some things about it were very nice. I think it's a, a very nice place to be part of family. Um, things mm-hmm. like that. Um, but I was there for like a year and a half, so. Maybe I didn't get, you know, the full experience for a short time. But, yeah. Well, there's – Albuquerque is like a series of little villages. Yeah. And it depends on which village you're in. If you're living out someplace that's all strip shopping, then you could be anywhere in America, but you'd have the Sandia Mountains to look at in the morning Mm -hmm. on the way to work. Very pretty, Yeah. yeah. So my third book was actually about Albuquerque. Nice. And which book was that? 
Uh, it's called A Rising Tide of People Swept Away. Isn't that a complicated title? <laughs> but it fits perfectly. It's about the Bosque, which you'll remember. It's an area of Albuquerque that's gentrifying pretty quickly now. Okay. Uh, but it's been a mixed-race neighborhood with its share of problems for 70, 80 years. And my story is about... Um, uh, well, it centralizes in place around a bar uh, called Rip's uh, Bar and Grill and Packaged Liquor Store. And it's all about a uh, young boy who's run away from a uh, household that's totally toxic. Hmm. So it's a, okay. it, it was a well-received book. It uh, took Eric Hoffer Awards and uh, was up for the grand prize this last year. I didn't win it, you know. There's 15 books in line to try to get the big uh, award, but uh, wow. I at least. I mean, I, yeah, I see I, you won um, several awards in the past. Yeah. Yeah. Um, nothing big. Uh, I'll call you back the day I uh, win the Pulitzer and we can do oh, interview. Yes. Oh, we should definitely chat when that happens. But that, that would be amazing. Yeah. Be, yeah. And so. It seems like you, you you craft your stories from different angles. Do yeah. all of your books fall under one genre, or do they all have their own genre? Uh, they're all literary fiction. Okay. Uh, even my second book, which was cast in a um, near-time crime novel, uh, it was literary fiction. The uh, I actually patterned a book off of uh, Carmino Burana, uh, the uh, song cycle uh, that was left over from the Middle Ages. It's, uh, you can still go and see it in an abbey in Austria. Oh. Okay. And they made an um, incredible musical composition of it. Uh, Karl Orff was the uh, composer. Everybody knows it because it was very um, 1970s hallucinogenic thing. So everybody my generation knows Carmina okay. Marana. So I, I patterned the book. Um, off of a, a medieval song cycle. So I'd say it was literary fiction, but my publisher thought it was a crime novel, so. Okay, yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well that's, yeah, that's, that's really interesting. I try, uh, I, I try to change up in every book. Um, somebody yeah. said, oh, you need to write a series. And it, it's, you know, people make very, very good livings if they can catch the edge of a series and write it. Mm -hmm. But I'm afraid I would get bored. Uh, I need to find okay. a new family, a new set of characters, yeah. a new place, uh, a new set of problems. Yeah, and yeah, I can see that you you know there's there's a nice mix of all types of characters and scenarios and all that good stuff. Yeah, and with the different I, places you've lived, you've lived in different places. You lived, of course, in the states and you lived abroad. Is mm -hmm. are there any particular um, areas that have inspired any of your work? Well, I've got a very difficult book I'm working on and have worked on for about seven years, and it's about Scotland. My wife and I really love Scotland. Mm -hmm. There's a uh, famous quote by Somerset Mom, I think, about getting off the boat and discovering that you've been living in the wrong place all your life. Wow. And Scotland works for us. Wow. So I'm working on a historical novel um, 
I'm being shoved very hard by one of my writers groups to make it three books, uh, somewhat like George Garrett's three books about Queen Elizabeth. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he's a literary masterpiece, uh, all, all by himself. Uh, and I could never compare myself to him, but maybe I could emulate him in a, uh, a lesser way. So I want to write about um, a family and a group of people over multi-generations out of Scotland. We actually spent three months there this last year, and I got to do a fair amount of library research while I was there. Okay. Uh, but uh, that's not at all what I'm working on right now, so... Oh, okay. Well, let's, let's talk about what you're, you're currently working on. Okay, well, I'm seeking an agent, meaning I've placed the book with an agent uh, whose judgment I really trust, and uh, I'm, I know her personally. Uh, I think that she could guide the book beautifully, mm-hmm. but it's about a pawnbroker in East L.A., and so it's entirely different from uh, anything else that I've written. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, it's uh, not a novel as much as it's a series of conjoined stories. So it's called The Moth, Not a Novel. Just so that I can confuse my readers. Okay. <laughs> and so she's seeing if she wants to uh, represent that one. Um, it's in its sixth version. And I imagine that if she says yes, I'll go to the seventh version. Otherwise, I'll go back to the indie publishers and see what could work there, if it would fit their au Uh They call it the ethos, I've discovered lately. Um, you, every uh, publisher has its own sense of aesthetic that they're trying to carry forward. If you don't match, you just have to smile and say, well, sorry I bothered you. The other thing that I'm working on right now is a uh, uh, a book about a 15-year-old, but it's not a young adult book. It just happens to be that the character is 15. He also appears in the character in in the book 30 years later, looking back, or 15 years later, looking back when he's 30. Uh, and it's about a street kid out of L.A. when he gets dumped into Louisiana. Uh, sent off to the uh, to the brother so that the brother can take care of the kid since L.A. is not working. And that's called A Narrow Slice of Daylight. So that's what I'm working on now. I'm somewhere between second and third draft, and I'm uh, running it through my writer's circle in Taos. And I'm getting lots of good feedback on how to fix parts of it, which is why you go to meetings like that. Of course. Can you, you tell me a little bit more about that circle? Because I think a lot of writers can benefit from something. Oh, um, well, writer circles can vary all the way from hobby lobbies uh, to uh, extremely toxic environments. Mm-hmm. And so you have to look very carefully for the match between what you're looking for uh, and the um, the sensibilities of the person that leads that group and i've gotten very lucky i've uh, i'm uh, 
my writer's circle is run in Taos, and it's called a Taos writer's circle, no great imagination, but Taos is a small place, so there's no competition. It's run by a woman named Phaedra Greenwood, uh, who took her MFA at Duke, and who wrote for the Taos newspaper for years and years, but uh, who has, absolutely has a wonderful view of the universe, because uh, she was uh, uh, the wave of hippies. She was in three of the communes, as a matter of fact. So uh, she brings a whole sensibility to the writer's circle that we couldn't get any other way. And she enforces civility, <laughs> and she uh, stomps down meanness. So there's a famous story about an Iowa writer's conference firing up, and the uh, guy who's running it walks in, and he throws down, everybody had to contribute their short stories. He throws down one set of short stories. And of course, the author is sitting there and he says, okay, who wants to tell me why this story will never be published? <laughs> so you can get into situations uh, where uh, basically people are shredding each other up. And you can learn from that, but shredding each other up to show how smart they are. So... It doesn't make good literature, I don't think. Oh, okay. But it, in a way, it sounds, you know, effective, depending on where you are in your journey, I guess. Well, yeah. yeah. Uh, if brinkmanship is your style, maybe it's the right thing. But <laughs> right. I, I'd rather have people that are empathetic and try to get into the characters and then can feed back to you and say, oh, you've got this voice all wrong. And these are the three reasons. But this other voice is just fine. Oh yeah, I would love that type of feedback. Um, I mm -hmm. think that, yeah, that's very useful. So you've got a novel out, right? Yeah, I, well, it's, I'm, I'm reworking it. Um, and just listening to you has been very encouraging because I've been working on it for, I think this is year four that we're going oh. into. And, um, you know, lessons learned along the way, you know, not to try to push anything out, you know, editing is key. So, yes, my novel is based on um, a woman who is rebuilding her life after getting out of a, a bad marriage. So oh. she, she kind of maybe in one or two ways relates to Beck um, yeah. with yeah. different things that she's been through. So, um, yeah, I've been uh, editing for a couple of years now. And so I think I'm, I am on my third rewrite, I would say. Um, and it's, it's been a huge learning journey. So when I speak with you, when I speak with other authors, I, you know, I definitely take notes for myself as far as, you know, what I can, you know, what I can apply to my own journey. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm going to offer you some advice. Um, I run multiple versions within each version. Okay. Uh, do you know a woman that's mostly known for short story writing, but has a couple of novels out? Her name is Antonia Nelson. Okay. Um, she uh, publishes in the New Yorker about once a year, and she doesn't have to submit to them. Uh, she's so good that uh, um, they call her and they say, well, Tony, do you have a story for us? And she says, I think I do. Hmm. And so uh, she's got chops. And I was in a weekend workshop that she was conducting. And she uh, not only was very, very good in terms of 
uh, how you put together concept of book and content of book, but she was very good on craft. And one of the things she said is, you're sitting there and you're looking at 300 pages. And if you try to fix everything at once, you'll get lost. So she said, go 3A and go fix that problem. And then go 3B and fix that problem. And then go 3C and fix that problem. But if you, if, if you try to do it all at once when you're staring at a single page, you, well, I get lost for sure. Um, I was um, totally uh, knocked down by draft two because I wanted to change from present tense to past tense. Wow. But I also wanted to change two or three major characters. And I tried to do that all at the same time. And it was just like, Oh, it was like hamburger. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think I, you know, um, early on when I first got with my editor, that's what I was trying to do. I was trying to tackle everything at once. And yeah. It, it, it easily became overwhelming. So now, um, you know, I've been work, working it in phases. So yeah, thank you for that because that also, that helps me a lot. Oh, so I was preaching to the choir then. Yeah. <laughs> Very helpful info, and I'm sure, you know, other writers listening will appreciate that as well. So the woman's name is Antonia Nelson, and she writes for Yeah, yeah her first name spells slightly differently with a Y-A, I believe, because okay. her parents, she told me that her parents didn't want her to be called Tony. Well, that oh. lasted until grade school, of course. Okay. <laughs> okay, yeah, we'll definitely look her up, and um, I'll maybe even include her information in the show notes. Mm -hmm. um, so we have The Moth, Not a Novel, and A Narrow Slice of Daylight. So those are the slice. two S-L-I-C-E, Slice of Daylight. Slice, a Narrow Slice yeah. of Daylight, okay. Yeah. So those are the two that you're working on. Any um, foresight as to you know when readers can expect any of them, either of them? Um. Well, the moth is the one that will come out the first. Narrow Slice of Daylight's just starting into draft two. Mm -hmm. And actually, it's going from a novella to a full novel. Nice. So I'm probably two to three years out. Okay. I try to work on three to four projects at a time. Um, my writer discipline is basically uh, get up at five in the morning and write for an hour. Because wow. by seven o'clock, the day doesn't belong to me anymore. Yeah. Now, working on more than one story, I know, me personally, I know I would go crazy. I can't, <laughs> I can't do that. Work on more than multiple stories at oh. once. So that's pretty impressive. Oh, I stole a trick from uh, um, somebody who's a better writer than me. Um, what I do is I make up a codex, and whenever I describe a character thoroughly in my first draft, I cut and paste that into the codex. And I keep my timelines and my chronologies there. So if I haven't worked on a piece for two weeks or four weeks, I can easily go back to that codex and I can get the detail back. I can kind of refill my head with those characters and it works really well for me. Okay. So, um, yeah, John Updike used to um, do the same thing. He used to have a wall where he had mannerisms and characteristics of his people stuck up. Uh, and then he would have another wall where he was 
uh, messing around with the uh, plot and he'd have all these index cards of scenes that he would keep moving around until he thought that he had the right supporting oh. sequence together. Oh. Um, I work mostly on uh, paper and I work mostly on a, um, on a computer, so I don't have the big wall like he did, but oh. it's a really nice concept and you can kind of do it uh, even in a Word document. Okay. I, I, that it sounds, I, I'm very curious now um, to see if that's something I should do because I definitely, you know, I have the space. I guess it depends on, you know, how much room we're working with, but uh, I, w I would like to start exploring, you know, other ways I can tap into the, the you know, my, creative, my creativity. So that sounds yeah. very interesting. Yeah. Um, Robert Olin Butler. Uh, who came to speak at, uh, in Taos at the local um, writing uh, organization, SOMOS. He uh, described the way he worked. He wrote all of his scenes in first drafts separately of each other hmm. and separately of time. And then evidently he has a giant dining room table and he lays everything out yeah. and then tries to make sense of it. Wow, that's that's pretty, that's awesome. I love that. Um, and, well, there's another story about Robert Olin Butler. He wrote his first book, which actually went onto the New York Times bestsellers list. Mm. And it, uh, I think I'm getting this right. Uh, it was his wonderful, wonderful book about um, uh, Vietnam. He was a military intelligence officer in Vietnam, and uh, the country and the people profoundly affected him. And the name of the book is uh, Sent from a Strange Mountain. That's A, Sent, S-C-E-N-T. And it comes from a Buddhist saying. And uh, he wrote it um, commuting in from, I think, New Jersey uh, on a train. And the only time he had to work was on this train full of people. And um, when he was working on his second book, uh, he had enough money to where he could stay home and write, but mm -hmm. he had terrible writer's block. And he asked his wife to come in and jiggle his uh, chair and make train noises, and she refused. <laughs> so <laughs> okay. yeah, he had to learn how to write in a quiet place. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> Do you believe in writer's block? No. Me neither. Not at all. Um, there's no such thing as plumber's block. Plumbers <laughs> get up every day and they go to work. Yeah. Here, here's the pipes. Here's the connections. Here's the toolbox. Yeah. It's what we all have. I do believe that you can get um, a little non-inventive or a little dead on a story. Mm -hmm. But if you're doing multiple things, uh, then you shouldn't have any trouble. Right. If, for instance... Um, you got a short story that you know isn't ready uh, to go out, you can switch over to it for a day and mm -hmm. then come back fresh. No, I don't. I think writing is determination as much as it's imagination. And many writers have said that in different ways. Mm -hmm. uh, but I don't believe in writer's block. I think it's... Um, uh, I think it's self-serving when somebody says, I've got writer's block. It means yeah. not trying hard enough. Yeah, I agree. I agree.
So, uh, you know, with, with that being said, I think, um, you know, with what you're sharing, it's, it's realistic and it's informative. And so I do want to thank you again for, you know, taking time out of your busy schedule to talk with us about your work. Um, oh, well, I appreciate the opportunity. Um, oh, of course. It's so, not and I get to talk about my own work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and we would love to have you back on, especially after these next two um, pieces of work are finished. Okay. Yeah, that would be great. Now, where can folks go to find you and connect with you? <laughs> well, um, you can, of course, buy from my publishers, uh, Southern Yellow Pine uh, in Florida. It's straightforward, southernyellowpinepublishing.com, I think. Mm -hmm. And then uh, there's a um, uh, there's very interesting press in Vermont who took me on board. They're named Fomite, F-O-M-I-T-E.com. They're very, very interesting people. Um, they've got uh, a deep tie into other cultures and just writers, nice. which is kind of nice, you know. Yeah. Uh, they're less boring at parties than us writers are. <laughs> and uh, of course, I'm, a, I'm available on Amazon, Smashwords, uh, Barnes and Noble, um, and a couple of others that I lose track of because they're uh, kind of uh, outside of my realm. I very seldom go out to check my reviews there. But basically, I'm well distributed, and I think that's primarily what indie publishers can do for you, is to make sure you're available in every format, every size, uh, every box. It work, has worked really well for me. No, I'm, I'm, I'm certainly not getting rich from writing, I'll tell you that. Yeah. Uh, the running joke is that I'm doing so well that I've had to switch to box wine. <laughs> Yeah, that's another reality. Um, a lot of potential writers don't don't know that it's not as lucrative as it you know may seem to some people. Oh well, there is something like a thirty thousand books published in the UK and the United States every year. Uh, mm -hmm. These are old statistics, but uh, they can't be too far off now. Uh, that are not self-help books mm -hmm. or not self-published. Uh, where you sell four copies to your family. Um, so there's 30,000 legitimate slots out there. And there are 150,000 Americans who list their profession as writers. No, I'm sorry, there's 300,000. So if you assume that 300,000 of those are freelancers or they're... Um, uh, technical writers or something like that, that leaves 150,000 people trying to get into a 30,000 slot bag. And it makes wow. the business very difficult. Of course. And that, that should put things in perspective for anyone. Yeah. You know. <laughs> but well, yeah, I, I've been very fortunate to, to get uh, indie publishers that liked my work enough to go through the hard effort on their part yeah. to put me out there to where I'm available. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I do want to um, thank you again, and uh, I'll be sure to share, you know, your your website information with everyone. They Great. Go out, uh, find out about your work, pick up a book or two, and 
you know, just take it from there. So I do want to thank you again, and hopefully we will connect um, again in the future. Sure, sure. That would be great. I really really appreciate your time. Oh, no problem, Scott. Thanks. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Good evening.